How's it going, Outpost family? How was your week? Good? Everybody excited about Thanksgiving week and eating and going crazy? Anybody happy about that? Anybody got family in town, visitors, friends? No, you guys are just not helping me out right now. It's awesome. Well, hey, my name is Greg Brooks. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Outpost Community Church, and I am glad that you guys are here. One of the things that we say quite often here at Outpost is, listen, we are the church. We are not attending church. We're not going to church. You didn't go to church today. You didn't get in your car and go to church. You either are the church or you're not the church. That's what scripture shows us. The, the church is a what? It's a people. It's not a, it's not a place. It's a group of people who have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Like, like Jake perfectly said, we are sinners trying to make it up the hill trying to stack up good deeds or feeling absolute, the overwhelming weight of our bad deeds. Coming to the conclusion that we could do absolutely nothing and then we realize there's a Jesus, there's this guy who is God and he did everything that we could not do to uh, save us. You know, all the world religions say you gotta, you know, you, gotta, you gotta ascend the mountain, get to the top of the hill. But the thing about Christianity, it says this, our God came down from the mountain to save us and he's gonna take us home, amen? Well, we've been jumping through uh, a little mini-series in the middle of 1 Corinthians where we're talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And it's been good. At the same time, it's probably also been hard because talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage is something that the church typically avoids. It doesn't want to talk about it. Why? Because it's sensitive and it's personal and it's hard to talk about um, because it's connected to deep things inside of our heart. But as we're going to talk about again today, as we wrap it up talking about remarriage and reconciliation, um, it's something that we have to talk about. In fact, it's not loving. Uh, it's actually cowardly to not talk about it. And you know, one of the great things is I don't get your, I'm not just here sharing with you my personal opinion. We're here to open up God's word. And whatever God's word says, we're going to follow that because our God is trustworthy and good. And what he intends is always what's best for us. And so if what he intends is best for us, and I don't know about you, I don't know the future, but he does. I don't know the fabric of how the whole cosmos works, but he does. He seems like he might be a good one to trust. Amen? And so we've got his word. If you're a believer, we know we, we say this is our authority, conscience, and God. If you're not, now you know, and you're knowing where we're coming from. We have a bias, and it's towards Jesus, all right? But here's the thing, as we go into this this morning, I know it's sensitive. I know a lot of you guys are coming out of a week, maybe two weeks of having conversations about this. Maybe it's been difficult and hard, and it's hit you right at home, or it's someone in your family, or whatever the case may be, and so it's difficult. Or maybe the difficulty you're feeling has nothing to do with marriage, divorce, or remarriage. It's just the fact that life is hard and tough, and as we head into the holiday seasons, it's a reminder of people that we've lost. It's a reminder of hard times. It's a reminder that family is far away, whatever the case may be. So it's, it's a tough season, but it's also a great season to be the church together because we're not called to walk it alone. Amen? All right. Hey, let me pray for us as we get ready to dive into this. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you've given us your word. It is a tremendous gift, and I'm thankful that it's inerrant. It's trustworthy and true. Our interpretation is not always trustworthy and true. So I pray for your grace and your kindness through your spirit to help me teach this in the way that, Jesus, you would intend it to be taught. And God, I also pray that all of our hearts, mine included, God, would just be open to hear what you have to say. We have biases. We've got feelings. We've got experiences. And, and they're good. You've given them to us. It's a good way to see the world. But, Lord, nothing 
trump scripture. So help us to be open-handed with our feelings, open-handed with our circumstances, and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, today we're ending out, like I said, the three-week journey through marriage, divorce, remarriage. If you missed those, you can go see them online um, or listen to them online or, or you know, wherever you can get podcasts, okay? Um, but today we're going to end. And the best way to end, I think, is to talk about where we've come from. So I'm basically going to recap where we've been uh, talking. So week one, we talked about the beauty of God's intention when it comes to this thing called marriage, right? It's a union of a man and a woman who come together, and it is beautifully complementative, all right? And it's meant to be for life. It's something where God takes the two, he brings them together, and the two become one flesh. And they are called to work together to uh, practice dominion, cultivating the wor world into life and flourishing. This is pre-sin, right? So we talked about that and how they work together with God to make more of these little uh, children who will raise up to ha get married and create more. And then they're called to cultivate the land and take this blank canvas and make it into something that reaches its full potential. But in the midst of that work with God, God placed a tree in the middle of this garden. And I think a lot of you maybe question, or some of us, question why God would ever put this tree in the middle of the garden, but it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever heard of that? And this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a very, very important thing that God did when he placed this in there. Because um, when he placed this tree in the middle of the garden, it presented humanity an opportunity to love. What do I mean by that? It gave us a choice to either trust God's good intentions and the way he designed and created things and follow him and work with him, or we had the choice to reject him, choosing to follow our own desires and go our own way. And this is important, because to not have this choice means that we cannot actually choose to love. It, it, it robs humanity of the opportunity to love. Do you understand that? It makes us robots. Anybody in here want to marry a robot? No. At least I don't. That would be weird. Okay? Actually, just don't answer that question. I'm just going to assume that everyone's going to say no. The thing about a robot, right, a robot, you can program it to love you, but is that really love? No. We don't want to be in a relationship with somebody where they're forced to love us. That's slavery. That's, that's robotics. That's not what we're looking for. And so then at the end of the last week, we discovered, or the end of the first week, we discovered that Adam and Eve actually had a downfall. When they had that choice, they took the choice to reject God's goodness and his intention and to go their own way. And when they did that, what resulted? Well, did they get knowledge? Yes, they did. But with that knowledge came shame. And shame is this really dangerous, powerful thing that comes on us. And so what they want to do is they began to cover themselves up. And then they heard God coming their way. And suddenly God, who is a holy being, they're scared of God. So fear enters into the picture where there was no fear of God. And so they're hiding in the bushes, they have fear, they have shame, and eventually God comes to them and he says, hey, did you do this? Did you take of this? And what do they do? Instead of confessing, God was inviting them to confess, what do they do? They blame the next person. Sin has now entered the world and sin becomes something that divides us, not just from God, we're separated from the garden, separated from God, it begins to divide us against each other. And there's a curse that says that the woman, you know, she's going to try to, uh, you know, rule over her husband, the, the husband's going to dominate her, and there's just all this pain, and we see it in real life every day. We have it going on, right? So we see this downfall, and we talked about that. 
And one of the things that we admire about children, you know, is that they're, they're, is their innocence. You know, um, some of the times, you know, parents, you know this with your kids, they say some things that if they knew, really knew what they meant when they said it, it's hilarious to us, but they have no idea, right? And I'm not going to say some of them because they're really inappropriate, but it's funny. Um, I thought about it. But here's the thing. Our desires are now leading us to a place because innocence has now become something that is just we don't have time for, right? It's something we don't have time for. Innocence is nonsense now. Stop acting like a child. Don't you realize what this is doing? You get with the times, whatever the case may be. And so our desires have led us to a place where it's leading us into more and more death. James 1 says it like this, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. This is God's fault, not mine. He put that tree in there. It's not my fault. It's Adam's fault, whatever the case may be. And he says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So our hearts, guys, are no longer burning with passion for God. It's just the way we are. We long for him, but we don't know what it is. We're not passionate about him. Instead, doubt, shame, sin, and death are the things that rule us and separate us and cause these divisions. It's the reason why you guys have pain. And so what ended up happening is in the place of something that's supposed to be intentionally uh, beautiful and good, we get dysfunction. And that's where we picked it up last week. We talked about divorce, this thing that 50% of marriages are going to end in in the United States. And so we talked about it. Talking about divorce, we discussed Jesus' teaching. We went to Mark 10 and Matthew 19, and eventually coming to the conclusion that divorce is never God's desire for our marriages. God himself says that he hates divorce, and the one who seeks it covers his garments with violence against the one he should protect. That's Malachi 2, 16. And it says that because in the ancient days, men would divorce their wives for any reason. Any reason, right? She cooks a bad dish. You're done. You're out of here. Can't stand this. But the problem wasn't that their cooking was so bad that men couldn't stand it anymore. The reason why they were doing it is they were lured and enticed by their own desires. They thought that there was something better in the next place. And so what they did is they cultivated this religious permission for wife swapping. And this led to brokenness. And what it, it did is it really was a hard-hearted, sinful desire that led us to a kind of behavior that the Lord hated. And he said, you are covering your garments with violence against the women that you should be protecting. And like the first sin in the Garden of Eden that separated man from God, so sin is still separating our marriages. It's driving a wedge between us. It's causing us to hide from each other, not being honest, because we're scared to belittle each other, to fight with each other, to justify our actions, to cope with pornography and drinking and isolation and so many other things. And the consequence of those things both have a, not just an effect on our marriage, but on individuals and all those around us, right? I'm a child who grew up in a household with multiple divorces and it didn't just, wasn't just my parents. It affected me, it affected my brother, it affected family members. It goes beyond just the two. Multiple people begin to read. But here's the thing. This is how we ended last week. All is with, not without hope. There is hope. Because Jesus, who is the hope of the world, was sent into the world to be like us in our flesh, but unlike us in his righteousness. Do you know that Jesus was a perfect man? 
Never sinned once. Not one time. How is that possible? It's because he's God. And he was God who was sent for us. He's the only truly perfect man. And he was sent here to seek and save us from the power and dominion of sin in our own lives. So that we might become the righteousness of God is what the Bible says. And through him we have redemption from sin and freedom to live in peace with God. And after this peace is established in our hearts, only after it is established in our hearts. When you've entered into a relationship with Jesus, it says that we're free to then seek peace with others. Listen to this. Peace with God has to be realized before true peace can be cultivated in the rest of our lives. All right? In seminary, they tell you there's the vertical relationship and there's the horizontal relationships. And they go together. They work together. But if the vertical relationship with Jesus or with God is not corrected, your horizontal relationships will always be broken. They'll never have hope for potential to move towards the peace that God intended for them. But here's the thing. (laughs) Jesus wants to heal you and bring peace. You say, well, hey, hold on a second. It's not me that's the problem. It's actually my husband and his sin that's the problem. If God would fix that guy, things would be a lot better. And maybe you're right, right? Maybe you're right. Maybe it's all your husband's fault and you have nothing to do with it. I think you're wrong, but maybe you're right. Because the reality is every single one of us in the room, whether you're married, single, high school, middle school, you're a baby, adult, whatever the case may be, married. Listen, if you draw a circle around yourself, inside of that circle is going to be enough sin to condemn you to hell. Do you realize that? Yours. We talked about last week, divorce is always a result of sin, and it's not the result of just one person's sin. You know that? Typically in the church, this is, this is the side rant. Let me just be honest here, okay? Side rant. Um, let me step away from what I was talking about. Uh, typically in the church, what happens is when a couple gets into this position, right, maybe like the husband has an affair, and so they're like, he's a dirty, awful person. We choose the wife. We're going to run with her, and let's reject that guy. Is that typically what happens? They pick a side. But I'm telling you right now at Outpost, we don't do that because that's not what the church is. The church is a place who we hope to be like God in the fact that we're going to love sinners. And there's sin on both sides. And we're going to say, hey, we'll stand with you and we'll stand with him. We're going to call all to repentance. But inside of that circle, God wants to fix you and heal you. It's not just your husband. It's not just your wife. It's not just your parents' marriage. I mean, there's stuff inside of our own circle, but we say God wants to heal us. And the proof is in the blood that God's son on the cross shed for us, for men and women who are standing in your circle. Do you understand? If you don't understand this, then everything else I've been talking about with marriage, divorce, and remarriage, it does not matter. You should just move on if you don't understand the gospel. And I pray that if you understand anything about the whole marriage, divorce, and remarriage conversation, it's the gospel. It's that Jesus loves you. Because Jesus didn't die for cleaned up Christians. This is this bad idea. You came here hoping it's like affirming your righteousness because you came into a gymnasium to listen to a 31-year-old scream at you for a little while. You think God's going, I'm so impressed with you. Way to endure, buddy. Like, that's not what he's thinking. You know what, you know what God is thinking? God died for wretched sinners like me. He died for Man, prostitutes and beggars, tax collectors and Bible scholars, playboy bunnies and high school football players. He died for every single human being's sin. It doesn't matter who you are and what you bring to the table. 
Stop thinking that when you put your hands on the door of the quote-unquote church building that you are affirming your righteousness. When you put your hand on that door and you open it to come in, you are affirming that you need some help. That's what you're doing. And there's nothing wrong with that because we got a God who wants to help. And so we then concluded last week uh, with this, you know, uh, the uh, disciples, we concluded, uh, basically, hold on, let me track back, find where I'm talking about. So when we really understand all that God sent his son to do to woo you back into his loving arms, then you begin to realize how following God will look in your marriage, okay? So we talked about how when you understand what Jesus did to get you back, even though you were running and uh, uh, whoring yourself out to your sin, you realize what God did to forgive you and rescue you. When you decide you want to follow that God, you then realize what it's going to look like for you in your marriage. That we're going to pursue and in following Jesus leads me to extend grace. And following Jesus extend, uh, teaches me to give forgiveness. That's what it does, following Jesus. And so we came to the conclusion last week that, yes, sexual immorality is the only biblical ground for divorce. We talked about that, Matthew 19, the exception clause. But we said this, that a fully devoted follower, we believe, the outpost leadership, we believe that a fully devoted follower of Christ won't ever pursue that. And that to pursue that, even though that Jesus gives it as an exception, it's still a hard-hearted choice. We don't mean that judgmentally. We say that to you with humility, knowing that we've got hard hearts. And we're doing everything we can to surround ourselves with people to remind us of the goodness and grace of God for us, so that we might turn around and extend it to others. So that we're not like the people in the parable that Jesus tells, who've been forgiven for billions, but turn and beat up our friend for a hundred bucks. Nobody's ever sinned against you as much as you've sinned against God. And so when we understand the gospel, we say, look, looking at the gospel, we see that Jesus says there's an exception here, but we also believe that when you're fully devoted to following Jesus, you act like Jesus. And Jesus is fully devoted to you and your sin. Because he loves you guys. Some are rejoicing. He loves you. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. He loves you. And so because we believe this, and because God said what God has joined together, let not man separate, we the outpost shepherds have decided that we're just not going to be the man who causes people to separate. We're never going to join that. We can't do it. We can never promote it. Now, that's a simple answer to a very complex, highly circumstantial conversation. But listen to me. If, guys, listen. Circumstances, difficulties, and feelings do not dictate faithfulness. Faithfulness dictates your circumstances. Do you understand? If you were here uh, two weeks ago, I talked about how in the garden it was we were called to cultivate and dominate. We were called to practice dominion over creation. But what ended up happening was Adam, being the passive man that he was, he allowed uh, to th this lie to infiltrate his family by being passive. Instead of saying, no, that's not going to live and reign in my family. You could get out of here. He lets it infiltrate in his family. And so what happens is the world turns upside down. And now creation and sin and all that dominates us rather than us dominating it. But then when Jesus comes down to earth, what does he come to do? He comes to defeat death, come to defeat sin, come to defeat shame, so he can flip it back upside down. Do you understand this? 
You see what I'm saying? He flips it back and says, listen, we're no longer going to be dominated anymore. And what's going to happen now, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells within you? And now as God's people filled with the spirit, we go, listen, uh, we're not going to be quiet about the marriage, divorce, remarriage conversation anymore because we're not going to let passive lies enter into our family. We're going to go, no, that's a lie. We're going to speak up into it and we're going to raise up the value of marriage because it's connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You hear what I'm saying? It's turned upside down. Jesus said, no more of that. Shut that serpent's mouth. God's got better for you. So filled with the Spirit, we go, listen, it's time to dominate because Jesus already won it. And so we're speaking into it. And get a little, you feel it? Do you see? It's not, the Spirit's not just like in everybody who calls himself pastor. He says he's in you. Do you not know that if you surrender your life to Jesus? Man. And so now we live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, right? We're no longer conformed to this world, but we're trying to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so by testing we will know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is what we come to. So now, after all this, we've talked about, you know, what marriage is. We've talked about divorce. We saw all that and how the gospel applies, but then there's still some things to talk about. What about remarriage, okay? Maybe there's some questions in this room. What does the Bible have to say about remarriage? So some of the questions I want to seek to kind of answer this morning, and like I said last week, your circumstances, I'm not going to speak to directly, partly because I don't know all your circumstances, and it would take some time to sit and do that, and we would love to sit with you. We would love to sit with you because you're worth our time. But here's some of the questions. What should I do if I now realize I was a part of an unbiblical divorce? What do I do? What should I do? How about this? How do I know if I can remarry? And then last thing, what if I've already remarried? Should I then get a divorce? Like, what do I do now in the midst of that? So we're going to look at three different things. You cool with that? We're going to track through. I'm going to be flying through some scriptures. Hopefully they're going to be on the screen. Um, you can write these down. I want you to go and explore them for yourself. Don't just take me in my word. Go open up the word and see if it's what it really says, okay? All right, so here's the first thing. When a divorce was not permissible, any subsequent remarriage to someone other than your original spouse results in adultery. It's simple. I want to read it again. Hear it. Is it on the screen? No, it's not. Let me read this to you. When the divorce was not permissible, any subsequent remarriage to someone other than the original spouse results in adultery. Okay, so this is where many of us want to run and say, you know what, I don't know, this is a hard teaching, and I get it. The simple understanding we talked about in Mark 10 last week and other passages like it is that if you get a divorce for any other, any other reason outside of sexual immorality, the, uh, or an unbelieving spouse divorces you, that's 1 Corinthians 7, then you are called to be either unmarried or else be reconciled to your spouse. Mark 10 verse 11 says this, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, you hear that? Luke 16, 18, write this one down. This one goes right there with it. It says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Okay, why is this the case? 
There's uh, several good reasons. Okay, why can't they just move on to the next relationship? It's done, it's moved on. Do you understand who she was? She was a crazy woman. Like, he should just have freedom to go, right? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, it's God says that he's the one who brought them together. He brought them together. Number two, they made a vow and covenant to one another. You made a covenant, and that covenant was sealed when the two became one flesh. When the two become one flesh, that seals this covenant that you come together. It's not just, you know, our culture wants to say that sex is just something that's physical. It's far more than that, actually. It's quite spiritual as well. And when the two become one flesh, it's a, it's a, uh, a spiritual, physical, emotional binding of a couple together. It's a beautiful thing that God designed. But it's a terrifying thing to tear apart. Also, what God brought together, he says, let not man separate. And then the last two I would say is this, to protect the sanctity of marriage and to prevent further dysfunction. So listen, we talked about this last week. The most popular school of thought in and before the time of Jesus was what's called the Hillel school, okay? The Hillel school, which they saw divorce as something that was permissible for any situation. Literally, in their documents it says, if she spoils a dish, you can divorce her. You know, that's never happened in my marriage. So, um, not once, or five or 20 times. I'm just kidding. That joke didn't land. It's whatever it is. I don't know where my wife is, but she's a great cook. Um, but that was the school of thought. Now, imagine how hard-hearted that is. She ruins a dish. I mean, wives, imagine living a life like that. You're in a marriage, and in marriage, especially in that time, um, it's a very dependent environment, right? There's not this, like, the independent businesswoman going on in, you know, Jewish culture. It's a very dependent environment. And it's like, you can spoil a dish and he can move on. He could see something else he desires, just look for some reason to get rid of you, bag you, hand you this divorce paper, and go on to the next. Do you see how hard-hearted and broken that is? That's not God's intention. That's dysfunction. And so what it did was it, it devalued this beautiful thing called marriage. And it elevated personal preference. And it's the reason why many of our marriages are struggling. We devalue marriage and we elevate personal preference. And so when we do that, so what, what is God doing right here? He's saying, listen, if you don't want to value your marriage, that's fine, but you're not getting remarried. Don't take that dysfunction to the next marriage. You're being selfish and seeking your own desires. So, so he says, be unmarried. And in the case of marriage, he says this in verse uh, 10 of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, if she divorces from her husband, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, this is really tough stuff, but if you fill in the blanks with your circumstances, basically what it's saying is you need to stay unmarried or else you got to go back to that person and you got to reconcile. So say you're in a situation, maybe you're divorced in this room, all right, and your previous spouse is, say, say they're still divorced, they're still, they're single, um, or even if they've remarried, he's saying you need to go reconcile. Reconciliation means to make things right. And what he would actually say to you is, go back, make things right, and let's reestablish this relationship and honor God with it again. That's tough. I've had to tell people, hey, that's what I think you need to go do. And they're like, I hate her. 
And, and not, no, like not even in a funny way. It's like, no, I, like I've had thoughts of hurting her. I, I can't stand him. And you're telling me I need to go back and forgive him? Are you kidding me? And remember what I said. What do we do? Most of the time, we talked about this with our shepherding team. Most of the time we say, hold on a second. Let me take you to the gospel again. And the fact that God, you are an enemy of God. And yet he loved you and extended grace and kindness. We want to ask you to see Jesus and let the love and grace of Jesus fill your heart, flood your heart. Let him help you be the one that goes back and helps to reconcile this. Now, I'm never telling anybody in this room you got to do it on your own. You're not called to do it on your own. Nothing in Scripture says that you're going to be doing a really good job of doing things on your own. You're called to be with the church, and you have the Holy Spirit who's with you. You've got a team of people. But he's telling us that we are called to reconcile, and sometimes with the, the hardest people to forgive in your entire life, whether it's in your marriage or outside of your marriage, but particularly with marriage, we're called to go and reconcile. Be reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, this is, you should memorize this. I'm working right now to memorize this passage, and it is such a great picture of tying what God has done for you and what you do next. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're new. You're not the old guy. You're not operating under those old standards. You're not walking the same old paths. You're walking and standing on the foundation that is Jesus. You're walking in his way. You obey his commands because you love him because you saw how much he loved you. You are brand new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. You didn't do anything. God did it for you because he's good and he's awesome. And that's the kind of God we worship. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And what did he do next? He didn't just reconcile you, so get in the door. So glad you're here, bro. You know what? Go take a seat and just lean back and enjoy yourself. You know what? Build yourself a really beautiful church building with great AC. Get you a fun-loving pastor who can teach and be charismatic and funny and, and all that stuff. And just sit back and enjoy your time. Give 5 to 10%, whatever. Do your thing. No, what does he say? The very next thing he says is, hey, the ministry that I lived to get you, turn around. I give you the ministry of reconciliation. It is now yours. Think for a second. Some of you don't want that gift. You're going, no, Jesus, take that back. I saw what it took for you to get that. No, I don't want anything to do with that. Crosses? No, not a fan. Do you hear what it's saying? I don't think it's a huge leap, guys, to go take that, step back into the marriage category and go, wow, that has weight. Wow, that has weight. I get why the outpost leadership are saying, man, we don't think that a fully devoted follower of Christ pursues this. So if you're in a position right now and your marriage, I'm telling you, mar it's, nothing can be harder than a marriage. You're in, that, you're in that place right now where you're like, I do not know that I can make this. I feel hopeless right now. Hey, look, there's other men and women in this room who felt exactly how you feel. And what they would tell you and I will tell you right now, you cannot do this on your own. You can't do it. But you do have a God you can have hope in, like Jake led us in song earlier singing about He's our only hope. He's only our hope for our own personal lives and walks with Christ and walks through this crazy broken world, but he's also the only hope for our marriages. You can go buy 16 marriage books. You can go do re-engage. You can go get counseling. I've seen, I've seen people do all of them. And still, because they're so stubborn and hard-hearted, they hoped that the books, the counseling, and re-engage would fix them. 
And they forgot the whole time it's only Jesus who fixes us and heals us. I, I love that hymn. I say it like probably at least once a month. Man, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The more that in your marriage you stare at your marriage problems, the more those problems are going to overwhelm you. But the more in your marriage, in every relationship, you look at Jesus, the more that you find nothing is a problem. We can do this with Christ. Now, Let's take a step farther. Let's go to the next thing because I'm lagging behind. In a situ- what about a situation where like I had a permission to get a divorce? There was sexual morality. I got a divorce. I had the permission to do it. Well, I would say that in Scripture, I think it is, it's my understanding that remarriage is also permissible. Okay? I'm going to kind of read through this so that it makes some sense. People disagree with me. Go out there and listen and see what their opinion is, but this is what I'm going to put forward to you. Remarriage is clearly allowed after a spouse dies. We all know that. They die, it's terminated. That's Romans 7.3. But what about after a biblically permissible divorce? So before I launch into why I believe you are free to remarry in these cases, let me just remind you that we as the outpost leadership uh, still don't see divorce as a choice that a fully devoted follower of Christ will pursue. Does Christ make a concession in the case of sexual morality? Yes. But this room has marriages that have gone through the tragedy of sexual immorality in their marriage and have come out the other side with stronger marriages through trusting in Jesus than they ever have before in this room. God does that. But when this does happen, are you free to remarry? I believe so. First, I believe grammatically it is more likely that the exception clause in Matthew 19 is modified, modifies both verbs. What does that mean? If you're out there and you're like me, you're going, that's, I don't understand this. In other words, Jesus says, when he says, except for unmarital unfaithfulness, that covers whoever divorces and marries another. In other words, that's what he's talking about. So yes, it gives permission. Second, all scholars on every side of the divorce and remarriage debate agree that it was a given for the first century Jews that remarriage was a valid option after a valid divorce. Nobody who was listening to Jesus um, uh, believe that they could not get remarried because of that. If it was valid, they, everybody there believed, yes, you could get remarried. Every Jew believed that. Okay, third, the phrase, it is not, uh, is not enslaved in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, all right, probably implies when it says, talking about the woman who is married to a uh, unbeliever and the unbeliever divorces her, says, hey, you are free, you're no longer enslaved, is probably means that, yes, you are free to remarry. Does that make sense? You're not enslaved, you're free to remarry. If you go later on in verse 39, it talks about when the wife's husband dies. It's like, hey, if your husband dies, you're free to be married. The two words there that it's talking about, they're different words, but they come from basically the same category. It's saying, yes, there is freedom here. But here's what I would say. Even though that, yes, there is a permission to do this, just because divorced, a divorced person may be free to remarry does not mean it is necessary or good or a wise idea. Okay, I can't go into your situation right now. I can't go into your family situation right now. But there are times when it's not wise to rush into the next relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have a friend uh, who, unfortunately, was going through some rough times in his marriage. And his wife wanted to pursue a divorce. And so in the midst of that, uh, he was doing everything he could, and all of us were around him, his family and his friends were counseling to pursue her and reconcile with her and reach out to her and care for her. And so they ended up, they were separated, and 
So this man was a beautiful example of Christ pursuing his church because he would write her letters. He would try to go visit her. He would help her at times, and he just kept pursuing her and pursuing her and pursuing her. Well, uh, eventually their marriage, unfortunately, ended in divorce. And he was seeking counsel with us. He's saying, what do I do? And we said, look, if she wants to run that route, we're counseling, hey, man, let her run it, but love her all the way to the end. But then once they get a divorce, and he said, well, what do I do next? And we said, look, you're going, to keep, you're going to keep chasing her. You're going to keep pursuing her. She says she's a believer. I want you, we want you to keep pursuing her and loving her and chasing her down, seeking reconciliation. And that is exactly what he did. Beautiful example. And it was hard. There were days where he felt like there was hope. Maybe they, this, they could get back together. And there were other times where he would call and he just felt hopeless. And one of those times that he felt hopeless, he called and he was chatting with me. And he said, look, hey, it, it had been like nine months to a year. And he goes, look. He's like, Greg, I, I don't know. I'm starting to feel like it's okay for me now to move on and get remarried or to maybe start having a relationship with somebody else. And um, I said, man, I know it's been a hard year. Help me understand why you feel that. He's like, well, it's just, I feel like I've been praying a lot and I feel like God's telling me that, you know, I, I've just got a peace now. I said, hey, that's great. And it's as hard as it was for me to say this to him. I asked him, I was like, hey, I understand that your heart has changed, but let me ask you, has scripture changed? And he got silent. And that brother said, hey, Greg, you're right. Scripture has not changed. I'm letting my, my feelings dictate my circumstances. And unfortunately, um, she eventually got remarried and the opportunity to reconcile her went away. And we, it was my understanding, my opinion, we would say, hey, if she got remarried, she's entered in a new covenant with him and he is now free to be remarried. So I, he called me on the phone, he told me this and we kind of mourned together and I said, listen, hey, um, she's got remarried. And I know biblically that says that you have the freedom, I think now to get remarried. That's my understanding of what scripture says. I said, like, hey, but I, I want to tell you though, I don't think it's wise right now. I think you need to take a season to mourn this and give it to God and trust him. I was like, I don't know if it's a year, I don't know if it's three years, but I'm just saying, I think you need to slow down and I think you need to bring community even tighter around you so we can love and protect you, but not rush into something else. Does that make sense, y'all? This is the kind of counsel I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to showcase to you how you are now, I wanna encourage you to counsel one another because these are gonna land in your lap and you're gonna have conversations with your brother, you're gonna have conversations with your sister, with your parents, with your friends, with people in your community group, you're gonna have conversations with them. You're gonna talk through this and you're gonna have to say one day, hey friend, I know you feel this way, but has scripture changed? God loves us and this is what his word says and this is what God's best is for us, so let's pursue it. The last thing I wanna say is this, is like, hey, what if, you know, what if I did get remarried and I wasn't supposed to get remarried you know, or, yeah, I got a divorce and I shouldn't have gotten a divorce. I should have fought to reconcile and do all that. I'm gonna read, let me read you this point. Improperly, improperly divorced and remarried Christians should stay as they are, but repent and be forgiven for their past sins and make whatever amends are necessary. All right, so like what if you're in your second marriage? You know you had an unbiblical divorce and you've gotten remarried. What do I do? do we, should I get a divorce again and go back and remarry that gal? No. No, you should not do that. It's not going to honor God to commit another sin to go and reconcile on something. Also, Scripture says not to do that in general. So what we would say is, like every sin, what you do is you need to confess that sin. Confess it. And go and reconcile. That may mean going to your ex-spouse and saying, hey, I'm sorry. 
But I am seeing now that God's best was for us to have remained married, as crazy as that may sound. And yes, I am remarried, but I want to tell you that if I was trusting God and I was doing what, the way you said, I would have done this. Would you please forgive me for not being the man of God or the woman of God that I should have been to follow him and trust him in his goodness? Would you forgive me for that? And you go, man, what, what difference is that going to even make? Massive difference. doesn't matter what the sin is. Sin always has consequences. We've got uh, marriage like that in, in this church right now where they're saying, yeah, that, that wasn't God's best. When I was serving at a church down in Dallas, Texas, one of the guys who was one of my leaders uh, on my team that I served under, he had gotten remarried and his previous marriage was not a biblical divorce. And him and his now wife will tell you right now, it was not God's best as they got married. God, his wife will say right now, it would have been God's best that, they would have, that he would have pursued her and sought reconciliation. That's people who say God's, God's way is better. Now, can I tell you something? God is always working in spite of sinners. I'm not telling you right now that your new marriage, it's just going to be total crap from here on out. And God can never use you. But I tell you what, God can really use you when you're humble and you say, you know what, Lord? I got to go make amends. I got to go own some things. Maybe you need to go to your children and say, kids, I'm so sorry for the way we did this. This, was, this is not an example to you of what God's best is for marriage. Maybe it's calling up the people who attended your second wedding and saying, hey, guys, we want to tell you, we see that this is what God's best would have been. And we, didn't, we, we devalued marriage and, and lifted up our personal preferences. And we want to tell you, this is what marriage is really about. And we want to uplift that now. But would you humbly, would you forgive us? And you go, that sounds ridiculous. But I'm telling you, that's what the church does. Because we're not afraid of people's opinions. We're afraid of lies of Satan dominating people, and we're afraid of sin and the devaluing of God raises up happening in creation. Because when that happens, it's going to lead to more dysfunction, more divorce, more pain, and it's going to permeate throughout our society. But when Christians go, hey, we want to own our stuff. We're not coming out here saying, look how righteous we are. We're coming out going, man, no, we're dysfunctional. We messed up. Hey, i got to own this with you guys. I, I've had to own things where people, where I went to them and and I, I confessed some sin, and it's from 15, 16 years ago. And I felt deeply convicted. I needed to go, and I needed to seek forgiveness. And, and I'm telling this woman, and she's not a believer, and I'm saying, hey, I, would, I, I just want to ask you forgiveness. Like, I've come to know Jesus, and, and following Jesus, I've realized I need to go and make amends for these things. Would you please forgive me? She's like, of course I forgive you. She's like, you don't have to do this. And I was like, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ died for my sin. He set me free. I want you to know that Jesus wants to do that for you. He's transformed me to be a person. That I, I want to go back, and I want you to know that you, I did not value you and your family. And God wants to show his grace to you right now through me as I seek and make amends with you. That's what God's people do. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be God's people. She didn't want that, but it was a massive sign, a massive rock in her shoe to go, wow. I thought believers were just righteous bigots. But this guy's owning a sin that I never even knew about. Hey, that's the kind of people we are. And we apply that to our marriage. You say you're married in this room right now. If you're married in this room, you've got to start looking to Christ as your example of how to love your bride, love your husband. Okay? Always seeking to keep short accounts and reconciling and making amends and seeking to love and care for one another. And teach your children and your neighbors what it means to love each other. 
And if you're in a hardship right now, I tell you what now, you need community. If you're a member here, you've got community, open up about your marriage issues to one another. I know it's scary, and I know you're saying that stupid lie. You always say, well, we gotta learn to trust each other first. It's like, okay, you know what's a quick way to do that? Let the maturest party go first, okay? When the maturest party goes first, everybody else will follow. Does that make sense? That's my opinion. You may disagree with me, you're wrong, but that's just, again, my opinion. Just open up and share. I guarantee you people are gonna go, oh gosh, we, well, here's mine. Okay, do it. So share those, work together, fight to this. Maybe you're in this room and you're divorced. We want you to know God hates divorce, but he does not hate the divorcee. You are not labeled in here. We're not putting stickers on you. We're not going, there's that divorced woman. That's not it. You're a child or you're a daughter of God. You're a son of the living God, and we love you. But hopefully through this message series, you've seen there might be some steps you need to take. And we, are, we want to come alongside you and help you take those steps. We're not calling you to do something that we're not going to go and do with you. You tracking? I will step away from this mock stage we have, and I'll stand right there with you as we do this. I'll be on the phone call with you when you're calling him or her, or whatever the case may be. We wanna be with you. Now, what if you're in this room and you're single, all right? I know there are a few, I've got some single people feedback coming to me in the last couple of weeks. Man, this is all about marriage. It's like, yeah, it's marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Like, surprise. And so, here's what I wanna tell you. This is one of the things that really drives me crazy because we convince single people the only thing they should think about is being single. But all of the single people are going, I wanna be married. I'm like, okay, cool, but let's tell you about marriage before you get into it. Because if you get into it and get surprised and you don't have these things figured out and nailed down, you are going to get your stuff blown up. And we're trying to tell you, you don't want to get married just to be married. Please don't try to get married just so you can have sex. Or just so you can have a combined income. Man, getting married is something that we do to glorify God. And in glorifying God, it means it's something that we do as we follow God. So I'm telling you, girls, guys, if you're single right now, after going through all this, it's one of the things I realized, like, holy cow, you do not want to waste your life on a boy who can shave, who doesn't love Jesus. If he doesn't love Jesus, say, go on. If she doesn't love Jesus, Proverbs says a lot about what it's like to live in a house with a quarrelsome woman. Let her be gone. It's like living on a rooftop, okay? It's like, it says like a persistent dripping of water. It's insanity. Uh, I know I'm joking right now, but the reality is, guys, we don't want to go into something where somebody else doesn't want to pursue and follow Jesus. We want to go into this going, look, hey, I'm going towards him and I'm going to do what he asked me to do. Do you want to do that? She says, yeah, that's what I want to do as well. It's like, all right, let's do this. And you will have a thriving marriage. You will have a thriving marriage. You will have a thriving marriage. But if you get in there and you were looking at her beauty or his money or his muscles and her hair, and that's all you were thinking about, hopefully God will teach you along the way. It will be through hardship that it's better to trust to follow Jesus. So single people, this is the best thing you could hear. This might be the thing that teaches you, like, sweet, I'm going to wait even longer. It's worth the wait. It is worth the wait, okay? And all the married people said, amen. amen. It's worth waiting. All right, guys, well, listen, I love you, and I want to pray 2 Timothy 2.1 uh, over you, which says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, you don't have the strength to do it, but Jesus' grace is our strength. I want to encourage you, after the service, if you have any questions, 
come up here and talk with us. Don't be scared. We're not up here. There's no judgment like, oh, look at that guy who walked up. If a person thinks that about you, they're crazy. You're doing a good job of saying, like, I just want to seek to understand. Maybe I said something that was confusing. Come seek to understand. You can shoot me an email. My email is greg at outpostcommunity.org. Send me the emails. I would love to take the time to even meet with you, our team meet with you, and say, how can we be a part of your situation and helping you be a fully devoted follower of Christ in your marriages? And hey, friends, I hope you will give out your email and you will meet with people and their marriages because they're worthy of your time. Because the church is a people, not a pastor. You hear me? I ain't got time for every one of you, but we all have time for each other. Father, thank you so much for your love and grace and kindness to us. And I do pray that your grace would be our strength. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now who are in the midst of a really hard marriage, a tough season in their marriage. I pray that you would extend them grace and kindness. I pray that they would have courage to be open and share those things and that we would be a church who would surround them with love. We wouldn't pander to their emotions, but we would speak the truth in love, stand with them, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. For our single people in the room, I pray that they would see that this is an important, uh, sanctified, God-glorifying thing to be a part of, but it's not greater than their singleness. Whether they're single or married, they need to take it serious at following you. For those in this room who are carrying a weight of shame and guilt, trying to be like Adam and Eve and they're hiding in the bushes, I pray right now that you and your grace and your love and kindness would soften their hearts, that they would see that they are loved by you and they can be forgiven. And I pray that we would be a church where there needs to be amends made, where there needs to be reconciliation, that we would be a church who has courage to trust you, to follow your spirit and go and reconcile. What a city on a hill, what salt and light we would be if we would own our percent. God, all to your glory. As we sing this song to worship you, standing to love you, continue to transform us. Give us the power to go into this week in Jesus' name.